Hey, church family. My name is Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Free City. Hey, thanks uh, for uh, joining us from your couch or your run or or whatever you may be doing um, as you're listening in. But even in uh, in this moment, kind of thinking through like as as chaotic as things are, I'm I'm really grateful. uh, it kind of goes back and forth, but, but grateful for technology, the, the ability to still connect in various ways, like as we've been on the city group level and um, even checking in with city group leaders and, and our city groups individually, uh, really thankful for technology and Zoom meetings or FaceTime or whatever um, you're using, but, but also that's exhausting. And so I, I also find myself kind of really grateful, but, but also this sense of my spirit that I, that I hope you guys have as well, that's just kind of longing, longing for an end to sickness and for us to not digitally or virtually gather as the body of Christ, but us to physically be back together. I long for it. Man, life in so many ways, and I know with so many different people, we have various jobs and, and essential businesses and those types of things. But, but in a lot of ways, um, life has halted. You're widely aware of this. Um, and, and it's not that things have just stopped. Our, our time has been reappropriated. It's not that we were handed more time or, or time was eliminated from our lives. You all have the same amount of time, but now things have been reappropriated. Maybe work has uh, simplified your working from home. Maybe you um, are working more because you're essential um, in the nature of your work. <sighs> Whatever it may be, things are a bit different. And one thing I, I kind of want us to be aware of in, in this kind of cultural moment is is that while time has not halted, it has been reappropriated, I think we might approach it as though things have stopped. Like we may, I think we do this on the regular, but I think it's especially true in this moment that we think we're either like pursuing Jesus or we're just kind of idle. And I think this is a pitfall and a, and a potential foothold that we can for sure step into in this moment that, that we're either pursuing Jesus or not pursuing Jesus or we're stopped. And I think the assumption, what I've heard from a ton of, of people, is that it just feels like everything is stopped. And I want to just kind of maybe raise our attention, our awareness to this, that, that nothing has stopped. You as a person, have longings deep down in your soul. And so even in this reappropriated time, if that has affected you in this way, you have deep longings in your soul that in one way or another you're pursuing. And so this may be pursuit of God, or this may be a pursuit of stuff. Like maybe you found yourself in this season at home and there's a thousand undone projects in your house that you're now finding time to get after. Or maybe um, you didn't know that you were interested in video games and you have scoured the entire city looking for a Nintendo Switch or something like that. That we are to some end pursuing something that's deep within us, some longing deep in our hearts. And, and so we're going to look at that a bit this morning in really how Paul prays for the church at Ephesus in, in this kind of matter. But 
But I, I, in kind of that intro, I, I want to say, man, thanks, thanks be to God that church is not just a building um, or a time frame on a Sunday morning. It is the people of God, people unified under the headship of Jesus. And, and so as we've existed from the beginning, uh, it's still true that, that we as Free City Church exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus. So as a lot of things have halted, the gospel message is still true and moving forward. God is at work in our midst. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you're aware that we've started a series in Ephesians. And if you're just joining, well, now you know. But really, we, we chose to get into Ephesians in this moment to, to really kind of provide a little bit of solid ground. It answers kind of this question, like, what is the church? Throughout his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes to tell them about who makes up the church and how that group of people are to function. Really, the entire letter is based around two main ideas, that, that Jesus has reconciled all creation to himself and to God. And then the second part of the book, really four, verse, chapters four through six, is that Jesus has united people from all nations to himself and to one another. So we are united to God himself through Jesus, and we're united to one another through Jesus. What a helpful reminder in a time like this. So today, we're in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And so if you have your, your Bible and you're sitting on your couch, man, I'd love for you to follow along with me. And also just kind of want to note that uh, we have released kind of just a, a liturgy guide that, that I hope is helpful for you. Um, if you are at home, man, we would love you to put into practice just rhythms. If it's you by yourself or you with roommates or you with your family, whatever your living situation looks like, We'd love for you to really take space and time to worship God. And if, if these are helpful things, great. Also, um, I do want to just side note, if, if you're a parent of a child, um, we'd love for you to jump on Realm. Uh, there's a link to it on our website. If you go to the, very, the homepage into the very bottom, it just says, join us on Realm. If you'd click there and then join the parents uh, of children group on Realm on Sunday mornings, uh, we have been doing just kind of a Zoom meeting where uh the kids can connect um, with kids workers and, and then be able to kind of uh, have a fun time. So that's been a really cool and informative thing the last few weeks. And so we'd encourage you to jump into it. But like I said, we are in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15 today. And really the main idea of today's text is, is this, that our, our greatest need is to know the one true God. Not just to know about God, but to truly know him. Like, of course, Paul wants us to know about God. He wants us to know what he's like. He's, he's already spent time telling us about God, and he'll continue to do so. But he wants us to know him, to experience him. He writes in part to inform, but in whole to also welcome the spirit of the living God to imprint on our hearts God's grace through Jesus and beg the spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts to this good news. We want to know God. Paul urges us, longs for us, pleased with God that we may know him. 
And so Paul structures today's scripture, beginning with really an affirmation toward the Ephesians, a kind of a thanksgiving, and then what follows is a prayer. And, and so as we take the main idea that it, our greatest need is to know God, we then break it down into two kind of places. And the first we'll see, and this is really verses 15 and 16, where we see Paul affirming, commending the Ephesians for evidences of God's grace. He's thanking God. And he notes their faith in the Lord Jesus and, and their love toward all the saints. And, and then the second part of this sermon will be in where he actually prays for them. And, and he prays that they might have even more experience of God. He spells out kind of the, the what of their salvation, the elements of their salvation, what they, what we, what the Ephesians gain from knowing God. And he breaks this down into really three different things that the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power. So first we'll start with the evidences of God's grace. If you do have a Bible, look at verse 15. It says this, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And for this reason, for all the reasons that we heard last week and the week before, for all the reasons mentioned in the first half of chapter one, because of all that God has done through Christ, but especially I would say verses 13 and 14, Paul gives thanks. In verse 13 of chapter one of Ephesians, it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul is encouraging and affirming the church while simultaneously thanking God. And I want to make a quick note of this because this, I feel like this often, often happens. As Paul encourages through his writing, note the chief end of his encouragement. His words don't say, I thank God because you guys are just killing it. You're really doing awesome. Allowing that encouragement to source in and end in people. Instead, he says something along the lines of, I thank God because of the fruit I see him working in you because of what he's done in saving you and sealing you. Paul begins this section by pointing us toward the God who deserves all praise. So do you kind of recognize that the difference between what we might, I'll just name it as flattery and, and then affirmation or, or true encouragement. Do you recognize the difference between the two when you receive them? Like flattery, it, it kind of has a shelf life. It's good until it's not good or till you're no longer good. It's dependent up on you and or what others think about you. But affirmation looks deeper into what's actually going on. It recognizes God as provider, giver, supplier, sustainer, so on. Affirmation begins and ends with God. So when it addresses people, it draws out evidences of God's work within his people. So Paul has begun his letter speaking of the blessings that we receive in Christ by the Spirit. And then he turns to pray. 
while still pointing us to the heart of God. But before he prays, he offers this thanksgiving for two things. Really the two things that summarize the Christian. And it might just be this. If we were to say, this is a Christian. A Christian has faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward the saints. Now, their faith is in who? In the Lord Jesus, founded in Christ. But how has Paul heard of this? Well, faith is not something that you see. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things, what? Not seen. Well, if that's true, then how has Paul heard about their faith? He's heard about their faith because of the love that they have toward all the saints. The love that flows from Christ to them, to others, manifests their faith. These two things work together. Faith and love as evidence of God's grace. So a quick note on his, their love toward all the saints. We'll cover this in coming weeks, but, but we need to recognize the confounding nature of this statement. The Gentile readers of the letter to the Ephesians had a love that, that bridged the racial divide. Now, this is absolutely countercultural in this time because if you were raised a Jew, you were raised to love being a Jew and conversely to love not being something else. If you were raised a Gentile, you were raised to love being a Gentile and not something else. It's only in Christ and because of Christ that we see this wall of hostility, the, the wall that we'll talk about in Ephesians 2.14, that we see this wall broken down. It's through this love, the one that bridges racial divides, through this love that's sourced in the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit, that the church's faith is put on display. And that manifestation, that visibility, glorifies God. So how might Paul write to you? Could he, if he were to put the pen to paper, could he craft a similar word of encouragement? Does your faith manifest through love? Or does your faith just in there? Now, I want to be careful in, in posing that because the scriptures are clear that faith proceeds works or, or love, let's just say it that way, that works don't, they don't justify us. They don't make us right before God. That's what Jesus does. But James also clarifies in James 2 that faith by itself, if it does not have works, which we could say love, it's dead. So think of this as faith propelling us. When you acknowledge that you are not the source of everything, that God is, that is when you begin to see everything as a gift. And from that knowledge, that receptivity, we're empowered to action. So are there evidences of God's grace in your life? Do you see them? Do you move from them? Do they propel you? Do you live a life marked by faith and love? Do you know God in this way? Do you experience God? Look at verse 17. Paul prays. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
And this is the centerpiece of today's text, that we would, said at the beginning, that we would know God, that we would truly know God. And verse 17 is, is kind of similar to, in what Paul's asking, it's similar to what Jesus prays at the end of the high priestly prayer of, of John 17, where Jesus says this in verse 26 of, of, of John 17. He says, I made known to them, to the apostles, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Perhaps a, a summarization would be this. I, I read this in uh, a book called Surprised by the Power of Spirit a few years back. And, and it's a prayer that, that I've kind of, that a guy named Jack Deere who wrote the book based around uh, this text in John 17. Uh, and it's one that I've adopted to regularly pray for myself, for my family, for, for you all, our church. And, and he just summarized it like this to say, Father, grant me a work of the Holy Spirit to love Jesus like you love him. Like that seems so simple. But if we think about it, it's this kind of mind-boggling, perplexing thing. It's, it's a recognition that it takes a work of God to love God, to know him. And this knowing is our greatest good. And notice how when Paul begins this, he, he doesn't, he, he, he makes this request. He wants them to know God. He wants the church at Ephesus to know God. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, God, I, I pray that you would provide better jobs to those in Ephesus. Or, God, I pray that you would just heal the sick. Or, God, I ask that you would just eliminate poverty. He doesn't pray for them circumstantially because he knows that is not the main thing that they need. So in the same way, I, I don't think that Paul would write to us today and say, God, I, I pray that you would eliminate COVID-19 from our midst. Or I, I pray that you would provide finances to those who have recently lost their jobs. I'm, I'm not saying that those aren't things that Paul or God cares about. They are important things. And I actually would contend that God cares about those things more than any of us. But Paul, through his actions, through the words of his prayer, is directing us to realize that our needs or our longings are more than our circumstances. They can't be satisfied through a more secure vocation or health or, or you name it. That our greatest need is to know God, that he is the chief end, the finality of our longing. In this moment, like this cultural moment that's going on, we have an opportunity to really lean into this, to see and experience God. There's a temptation toward distraction with any and everything. Like consider this, if, if you've been to Target or anything like that lately, for the last decade, jigsaw puzzles have been collecting dust on the shelves at Target. Now, they don't exist. Like, but I said this kind of at the beginning, I'm sure you've experienced this. You're cooped up inside your home, and this has presented an endless 
amount of possibilities of, of things that you can do, ways to occupy your time, ways to, if we'll pay close attention, ways to attempt to satisfy our longings. In beginning his prayer for the Ephesians to know God, Paul asks for God to open the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened so that they might know him. And he prays three things. He prays that they would know the hope to which he has called them. That they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power that's at work in them. He wants them to know God more and more and more. And he highlights the elements of salvation that God has achieved for them. Look in the middle of verse 18. It says this, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. If, if we look back at the first part of Ephesians 1, we see the connection between these words, hope and call. Earlier in the text, Paul has mentioned the calling of God. If we look at verses 4 and 5 and, and even verse 12, we see that calling is that we should be holy and blameless before God, that we were called adopted to himself as sons through Jesus. And this is all to the praise of his glory, as verse 12 says. And that calling leads to hope. Hope that we are secure. What an important reminder for us when everything feels out of control, that we are secure, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And there is an active movement. We are being conformed, Romans 8, 29, into the image of Jesus. When we understand this, when we know God, when we truly know him, our outlook is transformed. It's not that we become like bulletproof or immune to sorrow or suffering or sadness. It's that we begin to see with different eyes because our hope is in Jesus and not the things that the world has to offer. So when, when our foundation is firm and it's sure in God, then we have a higher hope. We can see the break in the clouds even in the midst of a pandemic. Even when there are resources that are scarce, even when social isolation is in place, even when you can't physically be with your friends, you can't physically be with your family and you feel alone. When we know God we have a security in him. The eyes of our hearts become enlightened. God answering Paul's prayers. And we begin to embody and embrace, fueled by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5. In verse 1 through 5, it says, that therefore, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Do you realize the hope to which God has called you. Paul's prayer is for you. He longs for you to know 
God, that you may experience him more and more, that you may know the hope to which God has called you. And building on this, Paul continues his prayer. What else does he want us to know? We'll look at verse 18 again. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now this could be confusing. We could see this as what we receive. That, that there, and there are commentators really on both sides that, that would say, well, this inheritance, it's, it's ours to receive. But notice the structure and what it says. The riches of whose inheritance? His glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be open to see that we are God's riches. That in Christ, God has set on us an extraordinary value. Paul's desire is for God to open the eyes of our hearts to see and comprehend, to know the wonder and glory and honor of this status. And consider what it means to belong to God to be his, the right standing that you hold as a son or daughter of his. Paul prays longing for us to more fully understand and experience what we are to God. And if, if we began to know God in this way, if we began to see ourselves as God's glorious inheritance, how might this change us? How might this news present security in the midst of seasons where everything seems out of control. And I'd actually argue that through this lens, our mundane days may seem a little bit less mundane. Like if we really lived into this reality as God's chosen people, predestined in love for adoption, we'd probably see much more of life as a gift. I bet rather than being puffed up, we'd be people clothed in humility. I bet we'd value others differently and love would flow from us. We'd be quicker to look at our browbeaten friends and, and sow words of healing about identity rather than reinforce the lies of self that they have or, or the world speaks to them. If we realize this, we may even approach God differently we'd come readily in confidence to him who Zephaniah 3.17 says, rejoices over you with gladness. Who, the one who quiets you by his love, who exalts over you with loud singing. We would be baffled by this news because we're his. Brothers and sisters, do you know that you're treasured by God? Have you experienced this truth? Paul pleads for God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts to know this, to know the hope with which God has called us, the surety of his call, to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, that we are his, we belong to him, we are his treasure. And in verse 19, Paul continues, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might. In his third request, Paul wants us to know and experience God's power. 
But notice how Paul compiles words, like highlighting the vastness of this power. It's not simply God's power, and it's more complex than the greatness of his power. (laughs) It is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Also take note who this people is for, who, who this, sorry, who this power is for. Second half of verse 19 says, toward us who believe. It is God's powerful activity on behalf of his people. And further, this is the power of the resurrection. Look at verse 20. This power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do you comprehend this power? I actually don't anticipate that you would, but I do want us to follow Paul's prayer. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead now bears on our lives. This is the power that entirely changes our identity. It's the power to save us, but also the power to sustain us. We say this all the time, that the gospel is the power of God to save, but also the power at work in you to stand today and tomorrow and the next day. The power of God that raised our Lord Jesus from the grave is the same power that energizes you to fight sin here and now. And how would life look different if we really knew the immeasurable greatness of God's power? If we experienced his power working on our behalf. And this power is yours because of Christ and God. Take heart. Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this is good news. We can know God. We can experience him having the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know the the hope to which he's called us, the surety of that calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, that we are treasured by him and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe him active in our life. And all of this is because of Jesus. Jesus, who, as verse 23 mentions, is head over the church. And the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's because of Jesus that we can know God. Because of Jesus that we can have hope as adopted children, secure in, called by God. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that we are now God's treasure, his glorious inheritance. Because of Jesus, that we can experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power here and now. Power that saves us from eternal death to eternal life. Power that sustains us day in, day out to fight sin and temptation. Power to fill us. 
And this power is available to us individually, but collectively as a church. And as we'll talk in weeks to come. Because of Jesus, we can know God. Not just know about God, but experientially, intimately know him. So church family, may we be people who, as Paul prays, have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know this great God and all that he's done. Let me pray for us. Lord, I do ask that you would bless each person in our church. Lord, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would evaluate where we are and what's going on in us, what our soul's longing for, and that you would come in power to move, to reveal to us the hope to which you've called us, the certainty in you. God, if, if we are downtrodden, browbeaten, Lord, would you lift our eyes to see that we are treasured by you. The immeasurable greatness of your power would lift our spirits, propel us, sustain us, because that's what you do. And so, Father, would you make us a people who love you with all that we are, who know you with all that we are and all that you are. So, Holy Spirit, grant us a power from yourself to love Jesus like the Father loves him. Help us. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks for tuning in. If you are sick or you have any needs, and we would love for you to please reach out, whether by email, you go to the website, fcclawrence.com, and shoot us an email if you have our phone number or you're in a city group or have kind of a, an ability to snag our phone and give us a call. And, and if you're kind of on the social media realm uh, and a message is the simplest way, please do that. Brothers and sisters, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to serve you. We miss seeing your faces. Um, we love you. We care for you. See you soon.